This is Intertractional, an exploration of Star Trek through an intersectional feminist lens. Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. Anyway. <laughs> Hi, Ryan. Hi, Becca. Hi, Intertrekkies. We are back. Hello, we're back. Yeah, this has been like a crazy month of us trying to get together and record. Yeah. Yeah, we kept kind of just having life things come and get in the way of when we were going to record. So here we are. It's been well over a month since our last episode, but it is what it is. It's happening. We're here. And we're going to talk about season three of Discovery. Yeah. If you haven't, if you haven't already watched it, like... This is a spoiler-filled episode, so probably go watch it. Or be like me and just give up any allergy that you have to spoilers. (laughs) Are you just, like, listening to spoilers? You're just consuming spoilers now? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I've decided that I I don't actually care that, like, any, any... Any dislike of spoilers that I had was being put on me by other people also not liking spoilers. And I respect that. I don't want to spoil things for other people who do care. I just, I know that I don't care. Yeah. So. I think my problem is sometimes when I, sometimes when I know a spoiler, like in the intervening time between the, between learning the spoiler and consuming the media, I will try to imagine how it happened. Mm. And that creates other weird expectations that the media doesn't always live up to, or it's just like, it's distracting, you know? Yeah, I get that. I'm really proud of this. I like won Reddit recently which like you win you won reddit yeah, you win reddit by like getting upvoted which gets you karma which then like makes your next post like more visible to people or or something or i don't know Ooh. or you just feel good about yourself cuz you have karma but, <laughs> but basically i called out somebody on a marvel studios post for marking something in a spo- when you have a spoiler on reddit you can mark it so it's in like all blacked out and you can't read it right and and then if you click on it the text is revealed and what they'd blacked out was the fact that oedipus loses his vision in the oedipus myth (laughs) from like greek mythology oh no spoilers (laughs) from 1000 years ago yeah, so I was like started making fun of them for for marking Greek mythology with spoiler flair. And I got like 500 upvotes. And so I was like, "Oh my god, this is what it takes to win Reddit." I finally did. <laughs> That's amazing, and you were obviously correct. Yes. It was the funniest shit ever. <laughs> Do you want to start out with a little bit of like, what have you been reading? What have you been watching? Oh, uh, yes. But first, I want to shout out a couple reviews on Apple Podcasts that we have received Ooh, yeah. in the last year. So I know we're a little <laughs> bit behind on this. I don't know if it's been the same for you guys, but it's been a crazy year. Pandemic brain is real. <laughs> and we are in it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and thank you very much to Assault Whitman for leaving us a five-star review that says, yay, this is the Star Trek podcast I always wanted, the intersectional feminist podcast I always wanted, and the combination I didn't know to ask for. Love it. Oh, man. And from Shauna Mo. side note, I love you, Shauna. So entertaining and accessible. I'm not a Trekker, Trekkie, question mark, and I love this show. How the hosts engage with each other is delightful and playful, plus they bring up real issues in the world and compare that to a variety of episodes, yes. which makes for an intriguing review and discussion. They are smart, thoughtful humans. Aww. And it goes on, but I won't I won't read the whole thing. So thanks Aww. to thanks to you all for leaving those beautiful reviews. Yeah. Those are some quality reviews. And to all of the other listeners, you can do that. That's like those are like jacket art reviews. Those are those are yeah. quality. I actually pulled a quote from one of our reviews, not either of those two, but one of our previous reviews for my grad school application. Oh my. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> this one from Gothic Girl, she says, stride forward, my friends, ever to the future. And I Ooh. I love it. I <laughs> put it in my essay. Nice. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. Anybody out there who's listening to this, you can send good vibes into the universe that I get into grad school. Yes. So, thank you. And now let's do that thing. Let's talk about what have we been watching, reading, listening to, etc. I want to shout out um, friend of the pod, Molly Sanchez, and um, her new podcast called The Hold Up, which she does with her friend Sam DeSalvo. And basically, they're like millennials. They're like younger millennials. Actually, I don't know if they're younger millennials or if I'm just an older millennial, (laughs) but they're on like the other end of the spectrum from me. But they're millennials and they look at stuff from our childhood, be it media or food, and then discuss whether or not it holds up. So recent topics have been um, one of Britney Spears albums, Mm. Space Jam, Pop Tarts, Kid Cuisine, and the film The Titanic. Wow. (laughs) So I recommend their pod. Beautiful. And, uh, oh, I am super, super into WandaVision right now. What is that? WandaVision is a 30-minute television show on Disney Plus starring two of the Avengers, uh, Wanda and Vision, I'm obsessed with it, and uh, it's the reason I'm on the Marvel Studios subreddit. Ah, uh, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Wait, is it cartoon or live action? It's live action. Oh. It's, ve- it's like, um, yeah, it's really good. It's like this weird mashup between a regular kind of hero style mystery show and like pastiches of family sitcoms from the 50s through the 2010s it's really really good like they'll do a whole episode in the style of bewitched and then they'll do a whole episode in the style of like uh full house and then they do a whole episode in the style of modern family but then there's also like a sci-fi mystery underneath all of it so like if you like television if you're like a big tv nerd you could get really into the sitcom part 
But if you like sci-fi, you could get really into the sci-fi part. That sounds cool. Also, the way that you describe it sounds like like each episode is contained enough that you don't feel like you have to binge it. No. I mean, it's coming out week by week, which is very frustrating for me. Mm. <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of binging things, I 100% binged Future Man that you recommended like last time. Yes. What did you think? I have so many thoughts about it. (laughs) It's eminently watchable. It is very fun. Maybe if we ever do a bonus episode, that would be a fun one to do. I would like that. We should do that. To be Future Man. Assuming that you're... Assuming that your infant will, like, allow for that. I was just like, (laughs) oh, baby. Maybe we can do it while my parents are in town. Deal. Did you have other things that you've been watching or that you wanted to to mention? Um, Nothing good. (laughs) Um, The other thing that I've really been watching have have been, like, reruns of Survivor. It's not as bad as I thought it was going to be, and it's something that's easy to read and text during (laughs) Mm -hmm. i think it's also having like a negative impact on my sense of morality oh one of the the things of the show is like everyone comes in with these ideals like oh i care about honor or i care about fairness or i care about promises that i make to other people and then they're like but that's not gonna I'm not going to be able to win if I care about those things. Like, Ooh. this is for a million dollars. And, like, you can't take other people with you on that journey. And so I've been thinking a lot about, like, those themes and kind of about Star Trek and, like, capitalism and, mm-hmm. like, collectivism and all these, other, like, sort of conflicting themes in our society. Yes. But, like, I've also been thinking about it a lot in terms of the pandemic, um, I might have an ability like pregnant people can get vaccinated in California soon at uh, like five days before my due date. Oh, <laughs> and so I'm like, do I do I really need you know what I mean? I'm like, do I really does that really <sighs> and watching Survivor is like, you know what? It's for me. I got to yeah. do the thing for me for my survival. It's for me. And it, it just uh, watching Survivor makes you feel more individualistic and it makes it easy, easier to justify decisions that solely benefit you. Wow. And think less collectively. It's kind of fucked up. That's super interesting. Yeah. And that does tie into something that we're going to talk about in this season of Discovery. So I like that thread. Um, wow. That's fascinating. <laughs> Mm. I'm such a nerd. I also, can't even definitely get that vaccine. Yes. Right? See? I'm such a nerd though. I can't even like watch Survivor without like moralizing about it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and that's why we have this podcast. Yes. Because uh, I do that too. We do it together. Oh, is all oh Indiana. Hi, Indiana. Yeah, I thought you'd want to see (laughs) her little face. I miss Indiana. I see like huskies every once in a while around Tacoma here. And I'm just like, no, I want to be with Indiana. Oh, I'm sure she misses you. She loves you. Oh, anyway, I what I wanted to recommend what I've been doing is I have been Well, I had like a really bad bout of insomnia and 
uh, it was both like how I ended up re- like binging all of Future Man and probably <laughs> exacerbated by binging all of Future Man. <laughs> And so yeah. this week I've been like, I'm not watching any TV in the hour before bedtime. So instead I have to read a book because I can't just fall asleep automatically. That's not how my brain works. And I started the Lady Astronaut trilogy. The first one in the trilogy is called The Calculating Stars. So, okay, so it's an alternate history of space flight where at the beginning of the first book, a meteor hits like the eastern seaboard and because of the size and like where it crashed into the into the planet like massive runaway climate change is coming in like a, a few decades oh, no. in that like the seas are going to boil somehow i don't know if the science makes sense but i i actually think that the author is like pretty pretty good about the science and so i i have a belief that like if this were to actually happen in this way that would be the result nevertheless um it's it's like 1953 or something that it starts out and so they they like accelerate the space program based on like divergent from our timeline and She's one of the women who, like, fights to get accepted into the astronaut program, having been a calculator. So there's, like, a lot of the, you know, if you've seen um, Hidden Figures, it's, like, the Hidden Figures ladies becoming astronauts, basically. And it's hella Jewish. (laughs) Like, the, the main character is super Jewish. And the, and, like, it's very racist racism conscious or race conscious like they Mm -hmm. they spend a lot she's the author um i forget her name oops kowal is her last name k-o-w-a-l-l she is the main character the author i believe has this obvious like point of view and the main character carries that point of view with her so there's a lot of like spaceflight science coupled with like civil rights. <laughs> okay, cool. And it's fascinating. I will say that like the prose is pedestrian. Like sometimes I get into it and I'm like, you could have made that sentence a lot like prettier, but plot wise and like point of view wise, I'm really into it. Yeah. So recommend. Okay, so season three. Star Trek Discovery. Yes. Season three. All right. So we're going to try to briefly summarize everything that happens in this 13-episode season. So buckle up, Intertrekkies. Well, the big things. All the big things, yes. Burnham lands in the future, crashes into Book. He is like a courier in this new 31st 32nd century world where the Federation doesn't exist anymore. There's this thing that happened that's called the burn where like all active warp drives blew up because dilithium something. Yeah. They they like fight in the first episode, but obviously they're in love already. Yes. Um, (laughs) What else? What next? She's going to spend the next year or so of her foreseeable future searching for 
her crewmates and her ship. Yeah, she goes through this year. She goes through her hair journey. Discovery crash lands on Space Saloon Planet. Uh, they encounter nefarious space cowboy like meanies. Giorgio saves the day by being Terran and like not afraid to maim and kill people. Burnham and Discovery are reunited. And her hair is long now. And she's had this whole other life during this year where she's been running around having adventures with this handsome man and his cat. <laughs> yes, the cat. Oh my God, I love that cat. <laughs> Very important that there's a, like a giant Maine Coon on his ship. <laughs> She's a queen. She's a queen. <laughs> <laughs> and they are trying to figure out where the Federation is. Yes. They have find a tiny outpost Mm-hmm. And then they eventually find the rest of that. I'm I'm probably skipping some things. The the key plot point in their like search for the Federation is that it brings them into contact with Adira Tall, who's a human with a Trill symbiont, and Adira was on Earth, but like joins up with discovery to help them find the federation and they have to take a side journey to trill in order for adira to be able to access the memories of the previous hosts their former host was like a starfleet admiral yes which is why they're like okay i'm on this starfleet journey with you and i want to help you connect with the rest of these people and then oh and then they find starfleet and starfleet is they're kind of dicks now like they're very like isolationist like they're very protective of the resources that they have left yes they're not necessarily on a a giant like save the universe journey and Mm -hmm. it's been like a hundred years since this incident happened Mm-hmm. that the burn that destroyed most of the dilithium. So they're all like pretty jaded at this point. Yeah. And they react kind of skeptically and negatively to the enthusiasm and uh, like we can solve all the problems attitude of Burnham and the Discovery crew. Mm-hmm. At first, they try to, like, separate all of the Discovery crew and, like, reassign them, but they prove their worthiness by doing some heroic thing. I don't remember exactly what. And then uh, then Book sends a distress call. He's, like, in trouble, and Burnham wants to go rescue him uh, using Discovery. They don't want to let Discovery go, so she takes books somehow does she have books ship she takes some other ship Giorgio goes with her mm-hmm. they end up on this uh basically slaver colony so there's slavery in the future mm-hmm. and rescue book and like free the slaves and get the black box that they're looking for which is what book was after which is what Burnham's been after this black box is a piece of evidence in the puzzle that Burnham's assembling to try to figure out what caused the burn. Uh, And in the process of this, like, instigating the slave revolt, she pisses off the emerald chain, 
which is like the capitalist mercantile syndicate that is terrorizing the galaxy, kind of. Mm -hmm. Then what happens? There are some side adventures. Somehow Burnham ends up debating a bunch of, oh, I can't remember what they're called. Oh, Vulcans and Romulans. Yeah. Vulcans and Romulans to get like a piece of information, which is mainly just there so we can see Burnham grow and like argue with her mother and like learn that the Vulcans and the Romulans really are one species and they finally united in the distant, distant future. There's a shout out to Spock, who was like apparently integral in the reunification of Romulus and Vulcan. So that's kind of fun. Oh, there was like a stopover on Quajan that's Book's Book's home planet. They saved some they saved some people over there. They they meet Osira, who's like the big bad of the season. She is the leader of the Emerald Chain or a leader of the Emerald Chain anyway. Uh, Famous for her vindictiveness and like the first time that we meet her, she murders her her nephew. Discover really pisses her off. And also she's been after the Federation for a long time anyways. Uh, there's a side adventure where Giorgio gets sent back in space and time and universes to <laughs> the Terran universe that she originated in and like relives like the last three months of her life over there. Yeah. And like does it all differently, uh, tries to survive that cutthroat environment while being a good person. And then that's kind of a fun episode. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a pair of episodes that feels very. It felt a little bit out of place in the rest of the season. I was like, what? What uh, did we did we have the Emerald Chain to deal with? But I do love any time that we get Giorgio, and uh, we actually got, for the first time, we got to meet Mirror Universe Burnham, who is, like, uber evil. Yes. Giorgio tries to not kill her in the same way that she had previously killed her, but ends up killing her anyway. It's all tragic. Then she's pulled back into our place in time. The guardian of the gate of forever, Carl... (laughs) Who is who is the character from the original series is like you you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here, basically. Like you are gonna die or your atoms are gonna disintegrate if yes. you try to stay in this place in time. So she gets sent through the portal to some unknown unknown mystery location, aka section thirty one spinoff. Yes. <laughs> then what happens? Then what happens? Okay, so then we go back to the Emerald Chain drama. Burnham's getting closer and closer to figuring out the cause of the burn. So they, Osira and Discovery, converge at this nebula that has a planet made entirely of dilithium and, like, one life form that's been alive for over a hundred years. They're trying to rescue this life form, figure out what's happening at the burn, Fight off Osira. Things go south. The Emerald Chain kind of invades the Federation, but then they, then it, it all gets worked out. They rescue that life form, who's a Kelpian, who has like some genetically subatomic connection to subspace. Blah 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 blah. And uh, then, then everything's good again. 
I guess. It's a lot. There's a lot in this season and it is a fun, it's a fun ride. I am really glad that they're in 3188. It gives them so much more room to maneuver like plot wise and technology wise and this like the incidents of the burn that happened 100 years ago, the like, you know, contraction of the Federation, all of that is very interesting and totally new. Mm-hmm. And I really like it. Yeah. Also, did you say this Tilly is tap- captain for a little bit? Oh, I didn't say that. Yeah. So somehow, so like her big goal in life has been to become a captain and to also just kind of be socially more confident mm-hmm. at the same time um, and not like doubt herself. And that's been like her journey since season one. And we've seen her accomplish a lot of those things. Saru needs a new first officer. Obviously, it's going to be Tilly because it fits in with her emotional growth journey. I would be responsible for lives. Part of leadership is the acknowledgement that one is suited to it. And also because there aren't that many other characters that we know well who would fit this role, right? So it's going to be Tilly, but she's still an ensign. So he, like, doesn't promote her. She's still an ensign, but she's also first officer, which is very strange. But the crew is into it. Everyone, like, supports her in kind of, like, Sesame Street style. They're like, we love you. Be the first officer. You're great. Um, Yeah. Which if I have any, I kind of, I don't know. I constantly have this sort of push-pull with how I feel towards Discovery. Because I like how emotionally weighty and resonant it is. Mm -hmm. But then I don't like how that means that it has to be kind of like fluffy and like positive all the time sometimes. Mm. Sometimes I feel like it's a little too like sweet. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that was one of those moments. Like I felt like there should have been somebody on board who was like, why the fuck is she, is she, like, there should have been somebody from within who, like, resented or something. Yeah, like Lieutenant Bryce or Lieutenant Nielsen. Yeah. Yeah. But instead, everyone's like, we love you. It was a bit of a stretch. I totally agree. It, yeah. Or he also should have promoted her because I, I I, just am sort of baffled by the decision. But it, it also makes sense. Like, she's a good first officer. And then... For some reason, Saru, I think because they know that the being on the planet that they're trying to reach, who's like on like the Dilithium planet, they know that he's Kelpian. So like Saru's like, I gotta go. And so then she becomes like acting captain for a while. Yeah. And that's when Osiris shows up and then captures Discovery for a while uses it to infiltrate the Federation. How do you feel about, because one of the things that we have that's sort of been a constant in Star Trek is this idea that the future is better than our present. And so we have this like optimistic Mm. thing to look forward to, um, which Picard kind of took some swipes at. And then we go drastically far into the future and see something a little bit more like, not dystopian, 
but just like regular. Yeah. You know, so it's like, oh, you can have like this like wonderful like state that like functions well, or you can have this like mob run kind of place and, and both are existing. But even like the one that we would choose to think of as ours and our future like isn't functioning at like its top the way that i think of it is that so star trek the original series 1966 it's you know the post-world war ii kind of like american economy is picking up and there's there's many decades of prosperity in America and like the 80s and the 90s are are like particularly prosperous and this idea of the American dream that like if you try hard enough then you can really like succeed in life you can have the wealth that you need to support your family and you can like go on fancy vacations and you can have a house with a yard and a dog or whatever all of that, in my understanding, felt more real and more possible to people who were in their adulthood in those decades mm. than it does today. Yeah. Like the 50 years of wage stagnation that we've witnessed, the concentration, the uber concentration of wealth into the like into a very smaller and smaller group of people that you and I are living under and all of us are living under right now. It's like, it's just a lot more hard scrabble life. Mm -hmm. And I, that's reflected in the way that stories are told. Like, I think that it's just like the people who are in the writer's room in, in discovery and in Picard are like looking around the world being like, this kind of sucks. And if we're going to tell stories that are true and real, we should, Tell stories that reflect that. And I think that's why we get the Emerald Chain. And there's like towards the end of the season, there's a really good interchange between Admiral Vance, played by Oded Fair, um, who's still sexy all, after all these years. Um, he's in The Mummy, by the way. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's what I know him from. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, I just keep being like he's he's like Jewish, right? Like that's what I know about him. He's he he's like Israeli. Is he Israeli? Yeah, I'm slightly annoyed that they gave him such a white bread name, Chris Vance. Girl, yes, he's <laughs> first of all, he's a total daddy, and I'm saying he's a total daddy because he's 50 years old. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> and. Born November 23rd, 1970, Tel Aviv, Yafo, Israel. Oh, damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you want to witness some, like, uh, anti-Semitism and anti-Semitism denial, uh, some Jewish fans will periodically go onto the Facebook group Star Trek shitposting and be like, hey, he's Israeli. Isn't that awesome? And then people will be like, free Palestine. And then it just turns into a whole shit show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which has okay. nothing to... I can to... see how that happens. Yeah. The internet for That's you. a thing that and, happens uh, on the on the internet. I'm, now, yeah. I'm, I'm just ashamed that I never knew he's... I just kind of... I assume... I think I assumed based on his character in The Mummy, 
that he was Arab. Yeah. Well, I mean. Oh, well. Oops. Kind of, right? It's like, you know, Jews are, he's Middle Eastern. I mean, actually, the the fact is that there's a lot of Arab people who are Israeli citizens. It's, that's true. I mean, that's a fact. Still, my complaint stands that he they named him Chris Vance. Yes. Or Charles, excuse me, Charles Vance. I I dated a person for a while, uh, was hooking up with a person for a while whose name was Chris Vince. And I cannot stop thinking about him every time I hear Charles Vance. They're the same. Oh, yeah. It's the same name. It's the same. I, you know. <laughs> Uh, Chris, if you're somehow listening to this, stay sexy. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, yes, yes, he is Jewish. So, Hag Sameach, Oded Fair. Happy Purim. Happy Purim. All right. So, there's there's he. Dad. Um, he's a bit of a stick in the mud. You were talking, were you talking about how he was having a fight with a, were you yes. about to talk about oh, that yes, scene? Thank you. Wow. Yes. Okay. So. <laughs> oh, All my right. God. Like 12 minutes later. Um, I the, the scene is wonderful. So it starts out like she's munching on an apple and she's kind of like, Ooh. it doesn't quite taste like the real thing, does it? I've never eaten a real apple. Well, how sad. Apples are a thing of beauty. If you want to talk about oppression, you should start in your own mess hall. It's made of our shit, you know. That's the base material that we use in our replicators. We deconstruct it to the atomic level and then reform the atoms. It's pretty good for shit. And we don't have to commit atrocities for it. It, like, starkly illuminates the things that we know to be true about the Trek universe or like the Federation Starfleet with their with their replicator technology, their holographic technology, like all of these technologies. Classic Trek doesn't really spend a lot of time talking about how that actually functions. Yeah. So you don't necessarily have to think about how they're recycling everything and like eventually the same molecules that you shit out of your butthole are like created into food, but like it's it's what happens. Yeah. It's this vision of a socialist utopia versus like capitalism gives us good fruit Mm. kind of like interesting side by side you know i don't necessarily believe that socialism leads to bad apples (laughs) (laughs) but um i at least appreciate that they were having this conversation like in the foreground in that scene and really throughout this season i think i think that's something that the season is doing well by having kind of like the dystopian world alongside the discovery crew and um the federation once they find them um they're sort of making more explicit and illuminating the kind of lefty values of the federation Right. And what happens when they're not present? Yes. Should we talk about Michael? Yes. Michael Burnham. Now, Captain Burnham. Finally. Ah! All right. Finally. 
Yes. I was so confused because I thought season one, I was like, clearly she's going to be captain eventually. And this is some sort of redemption story for her. Mm-hmm. And then it just kept not happening that I was like, maybe I totally misread this. And this is just a story about a very gifted officer. Mm-hmm. And she's not going to be captain. And I'm just totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was I was very glad to see her finally be promoted. The thing that strikes me about it in like an in from an intersectional standpoint is that she doesn't start out being captain, which the only other person who is eventually captain who doesn't start out being captain in the like Trek series is is Cisco, the other black person um, who starts out being commander, which I think is the same. Uh, maybe it's like one rank above what Burnham is when she starts out. Um, he's commander of Deep Space Nine. And then eventually it gets promoted to captain when he gets to pilot the Defiant uh, in the Dominion Wars. Mm-hmm. So they have a very similar kind of like amount of time that they have to wait before they get to be captain, whereas Kirk, Picard, Janeway, uh, Pike, um, Archer, all of those white people are automatically captain. Yeah. It's interesting because, like, you can can see why, for story reasons outside of race, you can defend it. Yes. Yes. And which is not necessary. I'm not saying it's not a race thing. Yes. But because they're definitely but I'm just going to lay that out for a second so we can talk about it. So like with Avery Brooks with Captain Cisco, um, it makes sense for him to start out as a commander because they're trying to tell a story about a space station. Mm-hmm. So it's like if he's a captain, why doesn't he have a ship? Right, and, and if you're going to tell that story, then he has to start out as, like, a disgraced captain where they, like, took his ship away or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they eventually figure out how to give him a ship. So from a story perspective, it kind of makes sense. Sure. And then they're like, oh, and we want to have him be a black guy. But it's like, also, why didn't they let the black guy be a captain? Yeah. You know? Yes. And then with Burnham, they're trying to tell a very different story where you have this really flawed character and you and they want to tell a story of like character growth over several seasons. Yeah. Um which is I'm assuming why she's not like that's when you have someone who starts out as a captain, they kind of have this like veil of invulnerability or like mm-hmm. Um. Oh, I forgot to mention Lorca. Oh yeah, fucking fuck Lorca, <laughs> who wasn't even really a captain. He was like an imposter. Whatever. <laughs> also Jewish. Ooh. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Intertractional, where you can constantly get updates from Ryan on which actors are Jewish. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I I feel bad saying this, but you sound like my mom. <laughs> she loves pointing out when people are Jewish. Oh, man. 
Yeah. It's, <laughs> you know, it's the prerogative of people who are Jews and definitely not a good thing if you're not Jewish and you start doing it. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> I don't recommend oh, just man. going around pointing out Jewish actors. If you're not Jewish, <laughs> it's not a good look. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Um, anyway, was, sorry, I sidetracked yeah. you. Burnham, Cisco, Arks. <laughs> Burnham's Arc. Which is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about Burnham's, yes. uh, Burnham's Arc. And um, also kind of like her, her emotional, her emotional arc and like her emotional portrayal. Yes. As opposed to like the other captains we've seen. Like, did we ever see Janeway cry? <sighs> um, Can you think of like a single instance? No, none are coming to mind. No, right? And like, yeah. even when um, there is an episode where Harry Kim dies. Mm. And then he ends up, there's like this weird episode where there are like two voyagers, like the ship duplicates itself. And like, yes, Harry Kim dies. And then he ends up being replaced by the Harry Kim on the other ship. Mm-hmm. And then so he's not dead anymore at the end of the episode. But he dies and he's like her favorite. Like he's like her baby on the ship. Right. Right. And she's told that he's dead and she's like, OK, what do we do next? Like nothing. Yeah. You know? Like no emotional reaction whatsoever. Yeah. Or it's like Burnham can't even have like an argument with someone without like tearing up. <laughs> I do really see that. And I think that there's this concept of masculinity as a box which constrains. And I think regardless of their or of their gender, captains are expected to be masculine. So Jane, you know, Janeway fits into that mold too. She's not really allowed to be soft because she's you know because she's performing to this ideal or whatever Mm -hmm. but burnham you know burnham really breaks that mold and i think that she's allowed to break that mold in part because she starts out so so she's raised on vulcan obviously Mm -hmm. and she starts out being so emotionless Mm -hmm. that the the fact that she comes into like recognizing her emotions as part of her and that like integrating that part of her becomes how she is strong like is it's just a new story in the trek world first of all and on top of that it is more feminine mm-hmm. like she's just allowed to be more feminine i think because we've, you know, because it's 2020, 2021, like the the people who are in the writer's room, the people who are producing and creating this show, like have a different type of story that they want to tell. And so that's what they're doing. I love it. And like being being feminine is not seen as being antithetical to being a strong female character yes like 
a lot of the moments where she cries are the moments where she's doing something very strong. Yes. Like in past seasons where she has to like sacrifice another character or where she's like trying to sacrifice another character. Um, like that that robot kind of human lady. <laughs> uh, Arium. Um, or in this season where she's like going against Stamets and like sending him back to Starfleet against his will and he's like begging her not to. Mm-hmm. She's like crying, but she's making a very strong choice. But like feeling her feelings at the same time mm-hmm. and it reminds me of like what that, that axiom that you say to like little children that like being brave is doing something hard even when you're scared mm-hmm. it's like she does something strong even when she feels like crying right yes i really like that Something that I've been working on myself recently is just kind of accepting or working on accepting that when I have hard things that I want to say to people, hard in the sense of like emotionally weighty, vulnerable, uh, yeah, just like close to my heart, like I tear up. And it's part of what's had me avoid having those kinds of conversations throughout my life is that I'm like, I don't want to be crying in that moment because it feels like it will distract and detract from what it is that I'm actually trying to say, like the fact Mm -hmm. that I'm crying while I'm trying to say it. Mm -hmm. (sighs) And it's not always from like sadness like, I cry when I'm frustrated. Yeah. Or when I'm angry. Yeah. And not that I'm saying that Burnham cries when she's frustrated or angry, but, like, maybe she does. But, like, it's just there's there's room for her to be in a state mm-hmm. that also dis- demonstrates that even when you are in a state, you're still a functional human being. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't stop working just because your eyes are wet. <laughs> like Right, yeah. Yeah. I feel like this is another way, sort of like a different kind of way in which Star Trek is trying to be aspirational. Because I, I don't know, or it, like it hasn't always been my life experience that I'm taken seriously while I'm doing something strong and still tearing up. Mm. Um, or where women today, you know, like... Hillary Clinton was both criticized for being robotic. Yes. Or being too masculine and then for crying when she let herself show us offside. Right. <laughs> Ugh. You can't win for trying. No. I mean, like, say what you will about Hillary Clinton. There are many opinions about her, but, like, that happened. Yes. Whereas some of the times that, like, Barack Obama showed emotion were considered to be, like, very moving to the people. Yeah, it's him being authentic. It's him being, mm-hmm. like, brave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but when Hillary does it, it's, like, she's demonstrating her, like, lack of fitness for office because she can't control herself or something. Right. <sighs> and if you look at, like... The response of the fandom to Michael Burnham, there are a lot of people like us 
who are like, oh, cool. She's like a really well fleshed out, well rounded character who we see have a full range of emotions and come into this role of like leadership. And then there are a lot of people who are like, why is she crying every episode? What the hell? And part of that is about men just not wanting to watch women cry, I think. And Mm -hmm. part of that is that she was raised on Vulcan. Yeah. And it kind of, it reminds me of, you know, I know I always bring up Enterprise. Not all of us watched it. Uh, (laughs) But it reminds me of like a lot of the, the, I mean, undeniably, if you watch any part of Enterprise, like the best part of that show is to Paul mm-hmm. and her Agreed. character and her, her character's portrayal and her character's like growth. She's a Vulcan who at times shows emotions. Um, sometimes for no reason at all. Other times she's like on drugs or like something happened to like bring out those emotions or she's just sort of showing them under the surface. Like, right. I don't know. I'm like thinking of a moment where she's like relieved that the captain isn't dead. And she has like a personal relationship with with him. And she's like tearing up, but still acting like her Vulcan self on the surface. But they do like a close up of her and you can see her eyes. Hmm. And one of the big complaints from the male fandom about her was that she's, quote, not a very good Vulcan. Oh, boo. Yeah, I, I mean, T'Pol's such a great character and the idea, well, actually what I want you to talk about is the thing that you were saying when we were prepping for this, which is about like Vulcan logic and concurrent like stoicism as a, some kind of stand in for masculinity. Yeah, yeah. So I think, okay, so a few things. Like, I think the Vulcans are really fun to think about as a culture, and I enjoy them. And one of the things I enjoy uh, about them is, like, an interpretation of Vulcan's relationship to emotions that's very, like, Eastern or, like, similar to Buddhism or yoga, where, like... Or like Hinduism, like this idea that like you experience all your emotions, but you are not your emotions. The kind of relationship you have with your emotions when you meditate a lot, for instance. Mm -hmm. And I think like Tuvok shows that. I think they explore that a little bit in Enterprise. I think some versions of Spock show that, like especially in the movies. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are other times when Vulcans are just like, oh, we don't have emotions or, oh, we're better than emotions. And like the only emotion that they show is like haughtiness or disdain. Right. (laughs) And there's a certain appeal uh, of Vulcans to either like people who are sort of people who don't have like high emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. or people who like to think that like men are logical and like women are emotional. Right. I think the original series, like which constantly has like Kirk and Spock kind of butting heads. Mm-hmm. Kirk is constantly arguing that like it is good to be human and it is good to be emotional, even if you're a man. 
that is like the perspective of the writers and of the show. And then the fan base is like, but Spock, we love him. <laughs> we're going to identify. <laughs> and we want to be like him. Yeah, we're going to identify yes. with this badass guy who never shows any weakness instead. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's kind of like not the point. You know? Yes. Yeah. Because like, like you just said it, like emotional reaction or like just like showing demonstrating that you have an emotional like feeling about what's happening is considered weakness and like avoiding being weak is such an like important component of toxic masculinity really Mm -hmm. if you can't look at emotions and kind of like integrate them with yourself as you were saying some like people with low kind of emotional intelligence then then it makes total sense to valorize somebody who doesn't like quote unquote doesn't have emotions or suppresses them effectively or what have you like whatever it is that that Vulcans are actually doing like that becomes your model for behavior because it like in a, in a way it excuses you from doing the harder work which is confronting your emotions and recognizing them as part of you mm-hmm. and dealing with that like just like having relationship with it mm-hmm. rather than avoidance of it mm-hmm. we were talking about the fans reactions to burnham being that like she's too emotional it's not okay I think the show knows, well, I know that the writers know that that's what's going on in the fandom. And I think there's there's an example in this episode or in this season where they like call it out almost. So there's these, these holograms that are AIs that are trained to be able to spot lies, but they also like have a lot of ability to analyze what's going on physiologically. And this particular AI, like, calls out Burnham. Your Olympic system's been getting quite a workout, Commander. Are you prone to emotional exaggeration? I just thought it was really funny because they're like, we see you fans out there having a judgment about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're very aware. But I, And I think that, like, part of how Burnham survives all of the hardship that she goes through, including a year without her her crew is by is by doing that by confronting her emotions like integrating them and coming to accept herself as herself and there's another scene i'll put another clip in here where she and tilly are having a a conversation right after discovery like comes back and it's the kind of the first time that they get one-on-one time i always knew that i would see you again yeah, I keep having this, like, image of you. You're, like, holding a dandelion. And you blow on it. And the seeds, they go. You let us go, didn't you? I know you, okay? So, whatever, I love your hair. (laughs) Thank 
<laughs> you do seem like lighter somehow. I really loved that moment because I think it demonstrated the power of like the, the bond of their friendship and the power of friendship of that type where it doesn't matter how long you're separated from somebody. It doesn't matter how long it's been since you like really talked to them or saw them like there's a fundamental knowing of each other that has you in that like like core of love mm -hmm. it's what is something that draws me into this show and has me really connected to this show and i can also see how people who are perhaps people who are missing that kind of affection in their life would be really like turned off by it something that i've always liked about star trek is that it'll like explore these kind of like high-minded sci-fi themes um, but also look at like the human cost or like the emotional resonance of those themes. Mm -hmm. But something that I'm sort of aware of with Discovery and with Picard and with watching the negative reactions of some of the fandom is that like that part was is just like totally not part of the appeal for some people at all. Mm -hmm. And that when you have a show mm -hmm. that centers those things more or those things come out more not as a result of the sci-fi things. Like in in the scene you're talking about, it's kind of it's like okay, they haven't seen each other for a year because of this weird time travel thing where for one person it's been a day and for another person it's been a year. So it's like Right. You know, it's not at the end of like 45 minutes of like getting to think about some hardcore sci-fi thing and then thinking about it's just sort of like it's just there. Yeah. And it's emotional. I really love the way that the show centers emotional experience between characters, mm -hmm. um, regardless of the sci-fi environment um, or the sci-fi reasons behind it. It's like they can both coexist, but they're not necessarily always related. Right. Yeah, it's like for some people, it's just like it's the toppings on the pizza that they just want to pick off. Yeah. It's like that's not why they were coming to this product to begin with. Mm -hmm. So they're getting mad and being like, this is not Star Trek. Oh, well, I feel bad for those. I feel sorry for those people because like they're they're missing out on something that's really beautiful and really moving and yeah and i think if you're if you're resistant to it then you could get really upset or like annoyed at how the plot moves because of it so for another example is that um adira our trill non-binary person is like has to go to trill Mm -hmm. and needs an escort. Well, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. I think you should be the one to take Adira to the surface. Her memory loss isn't a medical problem. She needs somebody to support her emotionally. Why do you think that's me? Well, Adira's had almost everything she's depended on stripped away. I think you understand that. I think you do, too. You know, there's a theory, post-traumatic growth, that uh, certain life events, uh, dying, time travel, a year alone in a new future, can inspire us to evolve, to 
live our lives in a different way. You're still in the process of all that, but Adira is about to start. I just thought that that was another way in which this this show, I mean, it felt a little bit convenient because it's like, how do we get our main character to be at the center of this new episode? <laughs> it's also It's also grounded in that same thing. Like it's grounded in Burnham has come to know herself as an emotional being. And it's interesting, I mean, I think it's interesting to look at Burnham and to look at the fandom and some of the fandom backlash from this perspective, because there can be, because it is a feminist issue and it is a racial issue, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily in the way that people originally assume. Hmm. So. I think it was really easy in season one to be like, everyone who hates Michael is sexist or racist. (laughs) And I think that, you know, that was probably true for some people. But for other people who are like, no, that's not it. I just hate how she is. It's like there are these sexist and racist kind of roots to that dislike of her. (laughs) This idea of like not wanting sort of like a feminist, like fully integrated emotional character. Yeah. Or like wanting, if there is going to be a woman who's a hero, it has to be a masculine woman. Right. Or it has to be a feminine looking woman who's masculine behaving like Janeway. Right, right, right. (laughs) Or it can't be somebody with like a complex racial identity, Mm. which I can't relate to. Like that's not a a story that's interesting to me, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Um... And so it's it's there, but it's more subtle. And I think that that's a lot of what's going on with some of the fandom. It's like not necessarily that they're making up excuses. It's just that they cannot relate to the story that's being told and don't want to be asked to emotionally stretch in that way. Yeah. Well, it's just it's like a different way of defining strength. It's a different way of defining what makes someone worthy of leadership. It's Mm -hmm. rather than defining like the most kind of stoic as the people who are qualified for leadership, it changes that narrative. And it says like actually the people who are qualified for leadership are the people who have done that work Mm -hmm. to understand themselves. And that's what gives them their power and it's it's a hard fucking work it's why people don't like therapy it's why people are like resistant to doing that shit it's it's painful (laughs) and people don't like experiencing it and if you if there's something that you don't like experiencing that you can dismiss as womanly and therefore weak and not worthy then you do not have to do the hard work. Yeah. Yes. I have written down that you want to talk about how hot Book is. Yes. <laughs> book is like, uh. <laughs> I have so many thoughts. Do you, do you want to go first, though? Sorry, I feel like I've been talking a lot. My thoughts about him mostly relate to Burnham in that we're now going to get a captain who has like a love interest. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which Cisco kind of did mm-hmm. on and off. Other than that, like no one else has really had a real love interest who's like a main character. 
Right. And like been a captain. I love that. I love that she has this love interest. And I think it's it's another way that being in the 32nd century is an advantage to them because the because he's outside of the Federation, he's outside of Starfleet and she is able to but well and she encounters him at a point in time when she's totally cut off from that world so there's no risk of like uh a subordinate and a superior officer falling in love mm-hmm. they're able to be kind of equals in the sense that she has she has her job and her stuff and he has his job and his stuff um However, at by you know towards the end of the season, as the arc progresses, like he is staying aboard Discovery for her. Mm-hmm. It's really unique to see a a female captain, first of all, but it's also unique to see her with a with a supporting husband or or significant other. It's like we have you know we have a first second gentleman now in the United States Kamala Harris's husband yeah yeah for sure and I was just thinking about like all the weird ways they kind of handled Janeway's sexuality back in the day like Mm. she had a fiance who she left at home Um, Mm -hmm. she would kind of flirt with Tom Paris sometimes which was borderline inappropriate in the first few seasons she flirted with Chakotay a lot in the first few seasons and there's like an episode where they almost get together when they're stranded on a planet. Yeah. But then they get back on the ship and it's just dropped and then she has like a few hologram romances. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And it's just like very lonely at the top for her and you sort of get the idea that there are no other options. Yeah. Exactly. There's one other instance of her having a love interest. It's when she's like given a different personality. Right. And they're all on that one planet, like working in the factory or whatever. She has like a guy who's like her boyfriend. Yeah. But at that point, she has to be an entirely different person in order for that to work. Yes. Yeah. And like most of the male commanders have or the captains. So Cisco has like. Captain Yates, and I think eventually they get married, but she's she's off doing her her bit her her own business like a lot of the time. So she's not really around very much. You don't yeah. really see her interacting with other people on DS9. She's like a recurring character. Like she'll right. show up and then disappear for a while. Yeah, and then all of the others, like I mean Kirk. Kirk has, like, lovers, but he doesn't ever have, like, girlfriends. And all the other captains, like, occasionally have lovers, but they don't have girlfriends. But even they are allowed more. Even they, like, the in these, like, one or two episode romances that they get to have, they're allowed to, like, kiss them. Mm -hmm. You know, they're allowed to have this like more full sort of, you know, Kirk kisses like a lot of people. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Picard, at least Picard kisses Vosh, you know, Archer, I think, kisses some captain from some other ship. Mm -hmm. And it's like Janeway 
Janeway, the time she has amnesia on that one planet and right <laughs> like a hologram and a hologram like that's who she gets yeah. to make out with it's like very her sexuality is like very very buttoned up yes yes and so like yeah that's what we get in like uh 20 or 25 years yeah <laughs> yeah with uh our female captain growth is we get, get michael like fully in love with like at least two people now yeah oh and it being book especially is just like so wonderful because he's, you know, he's kind of swashbuckling. He's very handsome. He's like got, you know, he's got a cat. <laughs> he's got these kind of like superpowers and he, he like he can talk to like animals and plants and stuff. And he is a... Uh, he's like an anti-poacher. He's like the rescuer of this endangered species. So he's got all of these like very appealing qualities. And he is, he's supportive of Burnham being the Burnham that she is. Like she doesn't, he doesn't try to prevent her from going back to discovery. He doesn't try to prevent her from, um, from you know taking the captaincy or like really doing any of that he's he's there for her there's a point in one of the scenes where he says you feel like home and i i died i was like (laughs) i oh my god if somebody were to say that to me i would just be like over the fucking moon it's so nice and so like Ah, all of the feelings. <laughs> Aww. Aww. Did you want to talk at all about the episode where he is enslaved? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that the the obvious here is that he's a black man and he's the one who gets enslaved. There are other people in the in this like slaver colony or whatever who are all different races and and alien types and and whatnot. Um, but of all of the characters in the show, he's he's the only one who's a black man and he's there. He he ended up enslaved. Um, I don't know that there's a whole lot more that we need to say about that. It's just it's there. My guess is that that was something that was discussed in the writer's room and they were trying to figure out how to make, you know, how to put him in peril, but also like illuminate the fuck up, fucked upness of the emerald chain and mm-hmm. like what what's going on in this in the galaxy right now. Well, I think they avoided some pitfalls, you know, like they sent Burnham and Giorgio after him. Yep. To save him. So that was better optics mm-hmm. than having white characters come save him. Yeah. And there's no real there's no real like torture porn. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't see people being well, we don't see him being like mutilated or tortured. There is a bit of that with some of the other people who are there, but not a lot. Done to some alien characters, which he's kind of an alien, but he's a very human looking alien. Yeah. 
<laughs> he looks completely human except for when his forehead glows sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and the um, God, he's just so sexy. Oh my God. Ah, can't, get over, can't get over it. Can't get over it. Oh. I think we also wanted to talk about Adira and Gray. Yeah, it's nice to see. Like, obviously, like, we are two cis women, so we can't fully speak to, like, trans issues. Right. Um, or non-binary issues. But, um, you know, the Trill have traditionally been characters who have been embraced by the trans spectrum community. Yep. <laughs> and um, as sort of this awkward but embraced metaphor, and to see a character who is sort of trill (laughs) or who is part trill Mm -hmm. and then apart from that to also be non-binary and to have a non-binary actor and a trans actor portraying them Mm -hmm. is like really cool that they decided to like honor that community and like make it explicit but also just be like it's not that all of these aliens are trans it's like this particular one is Mm mm-hmm or, like, this particular one is non-binary. The actor who plays Grey is trans, but it's unclear whether Grey is trans in the narrative of the show. I see what you mean, yeah. So the actor who plays Grey is trans, but the character of Grey may or may not be trans. I think it's great that we have somebody with they-them pronouns who's, a main, who's, like, a major character. Adira chooses they them pronouns it's a powerful moment for them when they assert their pronouns and that we can have you know explicitly out loud in the dialogue a conversation about pronouns that goes just totally it's like a thank you for telling me Mm-hmm. that's an important piece of information and then like they just switch and it's all good mm-hmm. the side note on this though that I think I so there's this trope called barrier gaze oh, right. which probably many of you who are listening to know uh, barrier gaze trope is that people who are LGBT are frequently like killed off or yeah or or like to the to the ext- to the extent that they're not all killed off, it's like one of them will be killed off for the sake of the character development for the other one. So, for instance, like right. in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Willow's girlfriend Tara. Like as soon as Willow is in like a happy relationship, they're like l- spoilers, you guys, for this 20, <laughs> 30 year old show. Um, but they, you know, they kill Tara. It, to, f- to give Willow motivation. Right. So in Discovery, like, Dr. Culber died and then was later brought back to life. And it's a little bit of a question mark, I think, for everybody that the, the showrunners say that they were always planning to bring him back. But the way that they killed him off felt very final at the time. Yes. There's like, were you actually planning to bring him back? Or did you like, listen, did you get all of the backlash that happened after he died at the end of one season? And you were like, okay, fine, we're going to fix this by bringing him back the next season? Question mark. Mm -hmm. And Gray 
Like, by the time that we encounter Adira, Grey is already dead, and we also witness Grey's death. Right. So there's, like, two queer people who are killed in this show, and then both of them come back to life. So I think, I posit that Discovery has invented a new trope, the resurrect your gaze trope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's probably one of my major complaints about this season is that we don't, it's like, I don't understand what's going on with Grey and they did not answer that question. So like, they're not answering that question until next season, I guess. And I'm like, is he a ghost? Mm -hmm. Is he real? I mean, we, it seems like he's really there if the weird hologram computer can recognize him. Yeah. And it's not just like a manifestation of like Adira's mourning or subconscious or trillness or something, which is what I originally thought. I think I had originally explained it as like, since Adira is human, like unexpected things happen that she has a trill symbiote and like one of the unexpected things is that she gets like split personalities yeah that's how i explained it until he until gray showed up as a hologram i also do not get how and why that makes any sense like what (laughs) i yeah i have no idea what's going on hopefully there's some fun sci-fi explanation for it yeah um but i'm a i'm a little bit annoyed you know, obviously we have to suspend all kinds of disbelief in order to buy into the, like, technology and science of this show. And then it goes and does something like that, and it's like, eh, too far. <laughs> yeah. Somehow, <laughs> does not somehow compute. that's too far. Somehow that's too far. I don't but know. It, just, it doesn't make any sense, and they haven't given us enough information for it to make sense. And, like, I get that that's how mysteries work. Yeah. But they're all just kind of acting like it's cool. They're like, oh, is Gray here now? Like, the way you'd ask a child, like, if there are imaginary friends in the room. <laughs> and I'm just like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. I think that's part of why it annoys me. I don't yeah. know. Um, I mean, I'm all for Gray being resurrected. If they can tell us what's happening, I don't like that I have to wait, like, probably a year to find out what's going on. Word. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? I'm trying to roll with it. We'll get there someday. I had a thought about Adira as the, like, the new Wesley or the new Jake Sisko. Oh, yeah, because we didn't really touch on the fact that Adira is, like, an actual teenager, sort of. They're 16, I believe, at least in the show age, maybe yeah. maybe slightly older yes. actor. I think slightly older, but not by much. Up until this point, Discovery hasn't had like a plucky kid. Uh, but that's kind of a that's kind of a fixture of a lot of the Trek shows. That's true. I don't know. I think maybe it's like subtly a way that it Discovery is once again proving its Trek bona fides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, we could have a genius kid. Two for the price of one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right, right. Uh, oh, man. Uh, so I think the last thing we wanted to talk about was Giorgio and her departure from the show. It makes sense to me that they wrote her off. I will I will deeply miss her. I really liked mm-hmm. having Michelle Yeoh present. I think she mm-hmm. added like something really fun 
to to the show and mm-hmm. hopefully section 31 actually happens so that we can get mm-hmm. more of her more just like ang- angry bisexual kinky Terran like yes stuff on tv <laughs> Yes, please have Michelle Yeoh flirt with all of the people. Like yeah. that is that is the content that I want. Yeah, and wear like literal Dominatrix leather gear as like her regular clothing. <laughs> so so true. <laughs> I love like towards the towards the beginning of the season where she has she's like puts on a Starfleet uniform and Burnham goes like oh you're an admiral now and she's like yeah I had to make it believable. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. That's true. Is that it? Is so that all? That was season three of Discovery. <laughs> yeah. There, you, there you go, everybody. <laughs> Uh, thank you for tuning in. Um, as always, we love you so much. And um, yeah, hit us up with those reviews and anything else that you want to say. Uh, send it on our Facebook. Yes. Or Instagram. Yes, please. And if you want to come on and help us talk about the trill and uh, trans issues, we welcome you. Um, to reach out to us. Uh, I think the only reason we haven't really done an, a whole episode on that is because not that we feel like ill-equipped, but like we're not sure that we are the right voice to talk about those things. Yeah. But feel that they're inter- intersectional and should be talked about. So if you think you're that person who can talk about those things with us, let us know. Word. And I think, like, same to anybody who's a person of color that isn't, I mean, like, whatever, borderline being Jewish, it's very confusing. But, like, we would also love to have different perspectives come on and and share your your lived experience because we are only what we are. So. Yes. Yes. Live long and prosper. Peace and long life. Did it! Intertractional is a production of Federation and Fempire, written and produced by Ryan Ascalazi and Becca Motola Barnes. Original music by Danny Kavka. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Intertractional. We want to hear from you. Join our Facebook group to discuss this episode with us and other fans. Email us at intertractional at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice memo. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts. If you like this podcast, you can help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps. You can donate to us at paypal.me slash Federation and Fempire, or you can become a member of our member feed on PodFan, that is pod.fan slash Intertractional. <laughs> Are you using your belly as a mic rest? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I am. <laughs> oh, yes. Love it. Love it. Let me tell you guys, being pregnant sucks, but it's also hilarious. That's my verdict. <laughs>